Welcome to the Latinx, Latine, and Social Work Podcast, the podcast where we feature people who have an amazing impact on the Latinx, Latine, and the Latino community. My name is Erica Sandoval. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the CEO and founder of Sandoval Collab and Latinx and Social Work Inc. Each week, I'm joined by leaders in politics, community organizations, businesses, social justice warriors, and of course, our social workers. We use a mental health, wellness, and social justice lens to talk about issues that impact communities of color while amplifying the voices of individuals and organizations that are doing the work to advance community healing. We're making the space to celebrate our work and talk about what still needs to be done to strengthen our Latino, Latinx, Latinx communities and provide them with resources and tools and tips to support them as they navigate the world. Enjoy the episode. I'm so excited to share space with an incredible contributing author, Maria Ortiz. Maria is a licensed New York City social worker who has deep passion for working with families, particularly women and children. Maria has a master's degree in forensic psychology from John Jay College and social work from Fordham University and 15 years of child welfare experience, in addition to over 10 years of experience with children in other settings. Maria is currently a licensed social worker providing psychotherapy at Ryan Health. She also serves on the board of NASW New York City chapter and as a delegate assembly member. Maria serves on Manhattan Community Board 4 as co-chair of the Housing, Health, and Human Service Committee and serves on Arts, Culture, Education, and Street Life, ACES, and covers Hell's Kitchen, Clinton, Hudson Yards, and Chelsea. She continues to live in Hell's Kitchen with her son. One of her favorite hobbies to relieve stress and for self-care is to dance, especially to salsa music. During 2020, she was featured in the fun article in the West 42nd Street Magazine. It's so great to share space with you, Maria. You do so much for the community. You're so amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Erica. Excited to be here and a little nervous. <laughs> it's so fun to just talk to you and just connect and, and I mean, even process all of the amazing work that you're doing and, and continue to do. Thank you for sharing your story. How did it feel to be... Um, sharing your personal narrative in a book it was uh it was an opportunity I couldn't miss however it was really challenging um I reread my chapter last night and uh, it was a chapter that I read that was pretty powerful and made me made me tear up and that was the, the chapter that mentions how hard this was you know how hard it was to write reminiscing about the pain uh, and the challenges but also there were parts of the, the story that really felt really good to be able to share with others. The perseverance, the positivity, the, the people who were part of my life who really helped me along the way. So it, it was a wonderful experience. I know many of us really talked about that, um, the healing component of writing our narrative. It was almost therapeutic, like we released a yeah. lot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's no question, no doubt about that. 
and there's different ways we can heal. And I think being able to write is one of the more powerful ways. It is so true. And, and not who would have thought that our personal narratives would touch so many readers, so many people that now feel less isolated, less alone and, and feel connected to our stories. Um, you know, your, your story really resonates with so many people because the trauma of poverty is so real mm-hmm. and there's so much shame. Tell us a little bit about, about what made you decide to, to just share and explore and, and, and continue to support others by helping them feel less isolated and knowing that there's so many people out there that are experiencing that and giving them hope that they can really, really overcome it and be successful. I think um, that's part of the reason I did the project also to be able to do that. Part of it was selfish reasons because I think growing up in poverty can be traumatic and I never viewed it that way until after social work school. And I learned more about, I believe it was ACEs that I think brought it more upfront for me. Um, I can't recall what ACEs stands for at the moment. Adverse childhood experiences, I believe. And thinking about what we went without and thinking about experiencing that in a community where many others have much more than you do. I think it's very different to be in a community where many around you are at the same, in the same space or at the same level socioeconomically. And that's not really what my experience was. Um, It was hard. And I think after I finished social work school, I realized more deeply how that impacted my sense of self, my sense of worth. And, you know, learning more about cognitive behavioral therapy, I recognize that one of my core beliefs is tied to that. And I just think it's a really powerful uh, experience and in positive ways and in negative ways. And it brings me to think about the migrants that are crossing um, the border and coming up to New York and that there's many in, in, in Hell's Kitchen right now. And thinking about some of the struggles and the pain they must be enduring and dealing with and thinking about the fall is coming soon and how we as a community can help and support this group of people. Um, just to make their lives a little bit easier, right? Put a smile on a child's face to be able to have something or have a nice coat. Um, those things are important and it makes a difference. No, absolutely. I, I, You're so loving and you're so kind and you do such amazing work for the community. Is that one of the reasons you became involved in, in um, and community boards and and policy, what 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 brought you there? Uh, that's a really good question. I think what really brought me to do more macro, to be really deeply interested in macro work, was when I was attending Fordham Graduate School of Social Service, and I was in a policy class, and I, I believe it was a policy class, and learning about the history of social work and how. Um, Women worked with large groups, usually people living in poverty, 
um, thinking about how they often work to change legislation, right? And I, at that point in my life, I thought psychotherapy, one-on-one -on -one work with people, how do you, I mean, that's changing maybe one person's life at a time. And that takes months or years where if I have impact on policy or legislate, legislation or can work in a, with a group of people, I can impact more more lives in a positive, wonderful way. And that's what really drove me. And then I found out about the community board and I forgot how, but it had something to do with housing. And I went to a few meetings and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I really, I can do this. I've lived in the community my whole life, born and raised here. And there's people on this board who haven't lived here as long as I have, and they have a powerful say. I want to be at the table too. And I, at that point, there were not a lot of women, even though I was, um, I learned that in the past, there apparently were many more women. But at the time I joined, there weren't many women and there weren't many people of color. And I was like, I want to be part of this circle. I want to be able to have a voice. I want to be able to speak for people like me with young children or single parents. And so I joined and it's been a really wonderful experience, sometimes challenging, but overall I, I've grown and the networks I've made and the friends I've made has been, has been really wonderful and enhanced my life. You know, um, there were so many things that you shared in your narrative and, and just hearing you say how you had this aha moment in social work school and also thinking about something you wrote about and I just, I'm going to read it. Um, you said, while I was in high school, this teacher suggested I could become an airline stewardess. At the time, I thought it was a good idea, although I was not interested in that career. I was interested in science, psychology, abnormal psychology, but this teacher never suggested becoming more than an airline stewardess. I became part of this because I am a Latina and that the home I came from, a Latina-led single-parent household with the mother in recovery from alcohol use, struggling with depression and living in poverty. And you became more than many people imagined you to be. That's what you wrote about. Tell us about that. It's kind of, uh, for me, it feels like kind of like a unique experience to be able to have the perspective that I do and coming from, like I shared the, you know, the quote you just read, Latina-led, single-parent household, living in poverty, mother struggling with her own issues, you know, and depression. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm thinking of when you throw a pebble in a lake and it has that ripple effect. Mm -hmm. How depression does that, how alcoholism or people struggling with addiction, how that has impact and reverberates uh, among family. And so... Um, I, I'm kind of, uh, in a way, not surprised that someone may have that vision for me. Like, Maria, you can do better and not live in poverty, but this is what maybe you can do. Maybe you can be an airline stewardess, or maybe you can be this or that, but never something, for example. You know what, Maria? I see you going to school, earning two master's degrees, being a licensed social worker, and helping people in your community, right? I also 
was not, what's that phrase? The sharpest tool in the shed. Why do you say that? Don't say that about yourself. (laughs) You're brilliant. Yes, I am intelligent and I found something that I was passionate about. And that's what helped me, I think, excel. But thinking about when I was little and thinking about like the grades that I received, they weren't all A's or B's. They were more like B's and C's, but I had a brother. My brother was getting A's all the time. And so that's why I say that. (laughs) You're comparing yourself. Yes, I am. However, I think, so when we were little, if you are a teacher and you see these two children, Mm-hmm. And you see these two children and um, one who's excelling academically and the other one who's not as doing as well, you might say something like that. Also, you know, what gives people, you know, I do believe that the teacher that shared, said this to me, her experience, her personal experiences guided what she was saying, right, to me. Um and I don't think it was, it, you know, it wasn't meant to be harmful or mm-hmm. intentionally in a negative way. It was supposed to be positive, but I think. Uh, and it, and it can, and it is positive. I mean, being a flight attendant, it yeah. has so many incredible <laughs> things, you know, traveling the world and you're, you're just. <laughs> it's true. And actually I know that many years ago that was, so I had a colleague. I'm going off tangent a little bit, but I had a colleague um, from the Legal Aid Society who read the chapter and she loved the chapter, gave me really positive, wonderful feedback. And one of the things she also added is, and she's in about her fifties and she said to me, or sixties, and she said, share that when she was a little girl in school, that airline companies would come to the school and try to recruit people to be women, to be airline stewardesses, you know? So I I thought that was fascinating. And um, I appreciate having that different perspective about things. It's helpful. Um, And so it's, to go back to what I was saying about it being a unique experience is that I think it's wonderful for me to have such humble beginnings and be where I am today because I have a flavor and an understanding that sometimes maybe not everyone else does. I also do believe that, that there are many people like me. Tell me about that. I love that. There's many people like me, but there's no one like you. Does that make sense? It's, I think that we share a lot of similar experiences and there are many people that have had, um, that are Mm self-made. Yeah. I think to me, thinking about being self-made means that there were people along the way who helped me and that it does take a village. And I remember one year, this was 2019 when I received a proclamation uh, from my city council member at the time, Corey Johnson. I, I, my speech was short and sweet, but I, I did have to say that there were many people who helped me get to where I am, mm-hmm. right? Many people who believed in me. I mean, some people don't, but that, and that's okay. And that's mm-hmm. part of life. But there are people who will be your cheerleaders, who will support you. Sometimes they're, they're in your life a long time. And sometimes it's just a season. Mm-hmm. But about valuing the people who are in your life and who have helped you along the way and remembering them. 
How do you feel now that um, you transitioned from from a from a position as a forensic social worker to a mental health provider at a at a clinic? And your macro, micro, you're at, you're you're all of it. Erica, this is a great question because it's been a fascinating, wonderful experience. I never thought I'd be providing psychotherapy and enjoying it so much. I love that. <laughs> I really, I'm like, this is it. I found, I finally, and even though I'm 44, like I feel like in my 40s, I finally found it. When I'm really honing in on really what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I know that in social work school, I found my purpose. This is what I was meant mm -hmm. to do, right? The first master's, it was forensic psychology. I love forensic psychology. And being able to do forensic social work was really great. Especially, you know, I love working with children and youth. Yeah, tell, so tell us a little bit what it, what it means to be a forensic social worker for people that are listening. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, my title was forensic social worker. I was at the Legal Aid Society working in the Juvenile Rights Division. And what that meant was um, I would work with an attorney representing children or youth, anyone under 18 and under. Um, and I would often have to interview children about allegations of sexual abuse and neglect. Um, and also I would have to prepare children and youth for testimony. And sometimes I was able to have the opportunity to sit with them while they testified um, in a separate room. Wow. So, uh, I never thought I would be in that line of work. Uh, you know, I call it child welfare because I was also a CPS worker for 10 years. And I thought I wouldn't be able to handle that kind of work emotionally. So I was a little bit reluctant to apply when I did to work at ACS and I did, and then working at legal aid. And so um, it, it was, it's an experience all its own to be able to do, to be in that kind of work. Um, and then connecting that during COVID um, is really what changed my vision for what I wanted to do long-term, just mm -hmm. like for many people. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I had a little conversation with God and talked to him about what I really want. Mm -hmm. And I make a joke. I call it, I want to be a child whisperer. Um, <laughs> and I was so like, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to get this opportunity? How am I going to do this? I need to, I need clinical experience. I need to provide psychotherapy. And lo and behold, I was offered a position. Um, I was told about availability at, a, at the Ryan Health Center. Would I be interested? And I was like, I'm not interested in doing that. But really deep down, <laughs> I sort of was. And I was given this opportunity. And I do believe that the universe, when you really, truly know what it is that your purpose is what you're supposed to be doing what you are meant to be doing mm -hmm. and you ask for it the universe will give it to you mm -hmm. and and that's what happened for me and now I'm providing therapy and most days I'm loving it and it's even when it's hard I'm 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 loving it and I'm growing and you know I'm helping people but they're helping me that's deep what do you think is hard? Um, so, you know, you think about 
your trajectory and your career and all of your knowledge and skills and brilliant. There's so much that you've done and there's so much that you're learning and continue to learn and do. And understanding that system and really supporting kids through that very traumatic moment. I can imagine how hard it was to sit with kids while they had to testify Mm. Uh, and and really advocate for themselves and you being their advocate. You you were their advocate. You were yes. with them. And then now you're transitioning to this place where now you're supporting them and guiding them in healing. And once you get all your hours and you graduate, and you know, you graduate to this clinical realm <laughs> of becoming like a clinical yeah. social worker. Wow, you 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 could you could already start consulting and doing mm-hmm. this work and doing mediation um, work for couples and families and evaluations and really 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 changing changing the dynamics of of how of how things are done with because you have so much love I see it I hear it and you have so much love for kids. I do. Yeah. What, what do you think is the hardest part of mental health work? You were saying it's, it's hard and it is, it is, it's rewarding. It's hard, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I think there's, for me in particular, there's been two kind of areas that are kind of challenging and hard. Uh, the easier one <laughs> that's been hard is um, if I've ever had patients that have um, felt that something I have said or done uh, made them feel a certain way that is not my intention. Mm. You know, sitting in my role as a psychotherapist, my I, I view my role as to uplift and help and guide, mm-hmm. right? And if in that role, something else is happening that is making them feel less than unseen, unheard, that's a problem and that has happened and having to deal with that, that's hard, right? And then the other part that has been hard, but in a deeper kind of way is when people come with you with their deep, deep suffering mm-hmm. and being so open and vulnerable about how a certain situation has impacted them or how much they have been suffering and have been suffering for so long and feeling like it's normal. And for example, not wanting to live anymore because you don't see any Mm. different. You can't see the light. Mm -hmm. Um, Or feeling or people feeling so worthless or so little and not understanding their worth or understanding all the good that they have done or how far they have come in their life and I've noticed that you know I listen and I sit with that and we talk about it right and then eventually depending on the patient and the situation sometimes I you know is it okay if I share my perspective right 
and being able to say, you know, but what I'm seeing is this, this, and this. For example, you're sitting here in therapy. You're trying to make a change. You're doing the in-between session assignments or I see that you've struggled and you're trying to help your family, but you also have a scholarship to attend a great school like NYU or you will be attending NYU, right? And I see you in such a different way than you see yourself, you know, and, and being able to see people feel that and get a little bit emotional or really appreciate having heard how they are viewed by someone else. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. It's powerful. I love that you, one, recognize your power in the room. Um, And I think that's important to note that when doing this work, you have to really recognize your power in the room. Mm -hmm. And you also have to be able to understand how we can be harmful and really checking in with yourself to make sure that you're not harming your client. And also you are a reflection of their incredibleness because you're reflecting back what you see that they may not see in themselves. And that's the healing journey. Um, What are some tips that you can give uh, social workers, new social workers, students that want to enter into the space? What are some tips? Because you're, you you know, you've had so much experience. You're, you're not just a a clinician that's sitting in the room and um, healing one-on-one individuals, one, you know, one session at a time and supporting in their healing. You're also dismantling a lot of systems by doing the macro work as well. So as you hear what doesn't work for your clients, you're really out there really trying to change it and not, and not just be part of it. What are some tips that you can give social workers and students and people that are graduating that wants to get in this work? So they can also help dismantle systems. One of the things that I personally think that's really, really important, whether you want to do macro or micro work as a social worker is um, being able to look in and being able to have the courage to work on the journey of improving yourself and understanding that in social work, we are constantly, continually learning, right? And that's part of what we have to do. I mean, that's also life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's also life. But there's, in in social work, if you want to keep your licensure, you have to continually earn credits, which I think is a good thing. Um, And what other tip would I suggest? Because that one's really important for me. Um, The other tip... The second tip I think is being open to, being open, being open to different things, exploring micro work, exploring some macro work um, and in whatever area that that's important for you. And I think that's it for the moment. But if I come up with another one, I'm gonna share it. (laughs) (laughs) So what's, What's next for you? How can people find you and get in contact with you? I would say through IG. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, somebody who's on social media all the time, but I do have IG that's public. And um, is it called a handle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, what's your handle? My handle is at NYCMEO, as in Maria Elizabeth Ortiz, um, at NYCMEO. And um, yeah, because I have my, I think it's called the link tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> link there. <laughs> I know we've become so savvy now. Um, we have link trees, we have handles, we have accounts. It's it's so mm-hmm. it's so great. It's so great to connect with you. Um, Thank you. at NYC MEO. This is where you can find Maria, follow Maria. And also I cannot wait to share space with you at the Latino Social Work Coalition Gala. That's yes, gonna be ex- off the hook. I make that to that gala October 28th. <laughs> Also, we have so many great things happening in the fall. We're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary on October 5th at the book launch, yes. at the second volume book launch, and we're celebrating all of the contributing authors uh, from the first volume. We call we call ourselves the OGs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like the original, I mean, that was brave of us, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, it was can't wait to see you can't wait to celebrate you and I'm so 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 excited to just be part of your journey and see this incredible growth um if you had a movie uh what would the movie be called you know you weren't gonna escape that I forgot that you were gonna ask this question man Uh, what would the title be well, I do want to share, though, though, that in the chapter, I do give other pointers for social work students, because um, <laughs> I can't think of another third one. That's right okay. Don't thinking worry. About they it. need to get the book yeah. and read your chapter. <laughs> all good. Don't don't give it all away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a title for my movie. Oh, my God. This is a tough one. Uh, well, I know who would be the actress when I was a little girl. It would be Shirley Temple. Because <laughs> of the curly hair, you know, I got those curls. Um, and what would it be called? I'm not sure. What do you think? What, do you have any ideas for what it could be called? Let's see a movie. I need, I need a good idea. It needs to be something fabulous. It needs to be something like... I don't, I don't think that's fabulous. I was like humble beginnings, but that's not fabulous. I need something amazing. Is that, what about like, it's an amazing life. No. (laughs) I like that. Oh, my amazing, my, no, my beautiful life. But Um, how about yours could be like my amazing life. Okay. I would, I would, I would. I would title it that. I my amazing that. life. My amazing life. <laughs> so amazing. amazing to life. Yes, yes, yes. And you really have. You're such a um, you're such an incredible example of everything that's possible. And I'm so honored to share a space with you and, and be in this journey with you. Thank you. And shout you out because you did it, Amma. You did it and you continue to do it. You did it. Don't make me emotional, Erica. It's been wonderful having you as part of my life. (laughs) And I thank you for allowing me to be part of this project. Really, Mm. thank you so much. No, thank you. You did it. With all my love, I hope you feel it. Thank you so much for being part of this and can't wait to hear more from you. Have a beautiful day. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Latinx and Social Work Podcast. 
This show is a labor of love where we hope these conversations will not only provide resources, but will help heal, lead, and inspire our communities and let them know that they're not alone. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review and comment on iTunes or Spotify, letting us know what you think. And if you're interested, purchase our award-winning books, Latinx, Latin A, and Social Work, Stories That Heal, Inspire, and Connect Communities on our website, www.latinxinsocialwork.com. Lastly, be sure to follow us on social media at Latinx and Social Work. Till next time.